with Clay Woman. I'm Clay Woman. <laughs> I know you know that. But sometimes I just like to say it. And so I did. Today we're going to be having a very exciting conversation. I'm bringing back Catherine Liu. You might remember Catherine was on the podcast oh, maybe over a year ago. And she's coming back today, and it's going to be very exciting. A lot of you know Catherine as a cultural commentator, a professor at the University of California at Irvine. She's written a book called um, Virtue Hoarders, The Case Against the Professional Managerial Class. And... She's frequently seen um, on many other podcasts discussing politics and culture. But today, we're going to be doing something very different. Catherine's coming on to discuss animals. We're going to be talking a lot about animals today, different types of animals, the ways animals interact with each other, animal culture, and I'm very excited about this. Um... The other thing, you know, because I know a lot of you remember, I've talked about the dinosaurs, how I was good friends with the dinosaurs and their beautiful singing voices um, many mi millions of years ago when I first was coming to Earth. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> but today we're going to be delving into a lot of animals that currently exist on your planet. So I'm very excited. I'm not going to wait much longer. I'm going to actually call Catherine now. Where is her number? All right. Okay. Excited. I can't. I haven't spoken to her in a while. Uh, hello. Hello. Can you hear me? Oh yes, Catherine. Catherine. I can hear you quite well. It's so lovely to hear your voice. Ah, uh, likewise. And you sound so great. I really love this, uh, the sound quality of your voice today. I have a special mic, the Yeti really, mic. Mm. It's really good. I hope that the viewers aren't, I mean, for my microphone, you know, it's a Marillion, so it's a, it's a bit clunky, you know, especially it has to travel so far because for some reason I have the recording equipment 
on a completely different galaxy from the microphone. Oh, it must be really hard for compatibility. You know, we do what we can. Right, right. Um, so, you know, Catherine, aside from the fact that I'm just, you know, your great friend, friend of the show, friend of Marillion's, friend, just a friend, and um, all that, you also, um, I want to tell the viewers that we've decided to um, start, well, perhaps a bit of a regular series here, because, you know, many of you probably know Catherine from her appearances on many um, sort of, I think they're called left-wing, you know, um, um, podcasts. And, um, you know, she's an intellectual known in, in these parts. And, but what many people don't know is that Catherine is also an amateur zoologist. Thank you. I feel so seen when you say that, Clay. It's, you know, it's very important. I mean, it's similar to Noam Chomsky, who, you know, people know him as an activist and as a, as a you know, political person. But, you know, in, in fact, he's actually, you know, um, a, a, a linguist. Mm. That's what they call That's a linguist right. and stuff like mm -hmm. that. So I feel like also with you, this has been, you know, this has been a forgotten part of your lexicon. I take a great interest in animals. It's some some people say it's superficial, but I think it's real. No, it's very real. You know, I love. I mean, of course, you know, I'm. I have. I'm, I've struck up most of my relationships with uh, human earthlings, but I can't. I can't say that I haven't been completely delighted by so many of the other types of earthlings that there are. Well, I feel like you've been a little bit biased against other terrestrial life forms, and that's why I'm so glad that we can center the animal today. All right. Well, you know, I'll, I take that. I take that um, that constructive criticism to heart. It's true. I haven't had any other animals on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. For instance, right, right. I mean, now, I love it that you love human beings, but there are these other living creatures in our world. Really? I know you were very into dinosaurs, but they're gone now, and uh, I really think you have to move on. I think I've been holding on to them. I do mm -hmm. miss them. Mm -hmm. well, mm -hmm. But you have to let go sometime. You know, you have to just let go. They're mammals now, a lot of them. They are mammals. There are mammals. Mm -hmm. Speaking of mammals, what mammals should we start with today? I know that you're very fond of the wombat. I know. Um, I've been learning about the wombat in part because I love Australia, and um, my son and I went there um, when he was very little, and uh, um, there was a little song that we that the Australians used to sing called Wombat Stew, Wombat Stew, nothing good enough for me but Wombat Stew. So it means that Australians actually ate wombats. But um, recently, you know, the Australians have been very, very angry at the Chinese. And uh, they, you know, there's this thing on the Internet. I don't know if you watch this, but um, Australian TV has released something called Poking the Panda, which means like, you know, the panda is represented by China and they're like, I don't know, 
Pandas have always been identified with Chinese people since 1972 when Chairman Mao gave Richard Nixon two pandas. And and so um, I guess the Australians are thinking of the panda as now a very aggressive animal and they, you know, they're about to, you know, do horrible things to Australia. And so I wanted to look at an Australian animal that could represent the country. And it's really fascinating, the wombat. Well, the first thing the wombat, we should know about the wombat, is that it makes all of these burrows in the ground. It's very, very yeah. industrious with its teeth and its claws. Tell me if I'm giving you too many fun facts, okay? No, because I really am very fascinated. I mean, I would have thought kangaroos for Australia, but I love that, um, that mm, you're, you know, yeah, mm. I... I think I've gone with sort of the lowest common denominator. No, no. Yeah, heard. everyone thinks about cameroons. Wombats are marsupials. Like, they carry their young um, in little pouches. But here's something fascinating. Their pouches are on their butts because they do so much digging that they get dirt in their little babies. um eyes and ears and mouths, like if they had their pouches in the front. So they actually carry their babies as marsupials on their behinds, which, okay, that in itself is really, really fascinating. But they, on, the back, on, the, on the back. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, the, think about that. that that's very like um, trans. Go down and on the back. It's really wonderful, yeah. Yeah, I, I just think, like, they're very neglected in terms of our understanding of marsupials. And they're always digging, right? They're digging these, like, elaborate burrows. But the male wombat, this is, you know, um, all, oh, I should say all wombats poop cube, ex, cube-like pieces of poop, right? Excre- their excrement comes out as cubes. And you think, oh, yeah, that's cute, you know, um, Cube-shaped poops, who doesn't like that? But they actually do something with this cube-shaped poop. They make the male wombats, like, create these beautiful elaborate burrows, like, you know, um, you know, they're like, you know, postmodern architects, right, underground. But And they want to share it with the female wombat, right, because they want to mate. I'm sorry to be so... um, you know, normative, binary, but that's how animals reproduce. So um, this is how they attract the female wombat to share their beautiful burrows. They make little arrangements and sculptures with their cubed pieces of poop before in in their uh, entrance, in the entrance to their um, burrows. I mean, think about that. Think about the... I mean, just think about the love and the ingenuity. Like, and if I, I were thinking female, the care that they take. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. with their it's poops, really- right? And and if I'm a female wombat, you know, I want to see the guy who's been the most creative, the guy who's done the most with his poop, with his cubed poops. And uh, I mean, what animal creativity, right? I mean, this is why we need to. No more fun facts about more animals. of us should live life through the perspective of the female wombat. <laughs> right, true, so true. And I was thinking about how like people make Legos and you know kids make Legos, but the wombats make their own Legos to so their poops. And hmm. I just I love that story. So your female wombat will see like a really attractive Lego sc- poop sculpture, and then they'll go to into the wombat burrow and do the wombat do right. But the but the thing that I always knew about wombats before I took this like very superficial amateur zoology dive into the wombat was that 
I always heard that when they were attacked by their predators, like the dingo, right, which is this mm. like really scary dog-like creature in Australia that's been known to eat babies, I was on wombats will burrow into their um, um, burrows and just stick their butts out. And since they have this extra thick skin on their butts and they're stuck in the, you know, orifice of their burrows, like perfectly, the dingoes will give up looking for them or give up trying to like pull them out or like bite their butts. And so it's like a great ostrich metaphor. And I feel like it's a really great metaphor for the way um, Australia is dealing with China now, like poke the panda, then like dive in your burrow, show your ass to the world mm. and yes. just wait for pe- and take a defensive position because, you know, let's just be honest. There's like 1.3 billion pandas in the world. And there's like, maybe I, I might be exaggerating. <laughs> I think there's like 40 million. There might be less. Like, let's just say they're like 4 million Australians. Give or take a four, few. Four million. Four to 40 million. I don't know. There's I can look it up for million. you, but who cares, right? But let's just say like a very small number of Australia, of wombats compared with pandas. Right, so if right. they all stick their butts out of their burrows, then the Chinese will ignore them. Like, I, I, I don't get there. That's not a great way to get people to ignore you to stick your butt out of your burrow. Usually that will attract attention on the blog. Um... Maybe like in the East Village, in the West Village, 1977, that was like a really bad idea. Like pre-AIDS West Village. Whoa, man. That, you know, don't do that then. But I don't know. I think like they poked the panda and then they stuck their butt out or something because they want to be very, they want to be very martial and uh, they want to go to, they're terrified of war with China. They want to go to war with China. At least their conservative government does. And yet they have this ambivalence about actually confronting China because they know that um, their boroughs are very attractive, like, you know, to 1.4 billion pandas. And I very interesting that the panda, because pandas, you know, in nature are extremely, you know, they're very friendly. They're very chubby and they they are very playful and sleepy and roly poly. Yeah. Um, but I so, yes, they're not like scary um, creatures, although, you know, and Mao, you, you could say like they were the Trojan horses of Chinese diplomacy because maybe Mao. Um, gave pandas to Nixon during the Cold War as kind of like a Trojan horse, which mm. would delude us into thinking that the Chinese were just like sleepy bear, sleepy bear-like creatures that ate a lot of bamboo and were incredibly cute. And then they turned out to be like vicious. I don't uh, like another vicious whatever. Like uh, oh oh, um, COVID carrying bats who are going to come and just like infect everyone. Oh my goodness. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. There's just a lot of, you know, bad, and people have a lot of bad feeling about China now. And I thought Australia you were going to say people special. have a lot of bad feeling about bad China feeling, now. Yeah, and that too, and that too, and that yeah. too. Um, so I just, I also wanted to tell you, Clay Woman, I've been doing some research into like, um, liberal is the 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 emergence of like the liberal elites right and i don't know 
I wrote this book on the professional managerial class. And uh, yes, and yes, lot, this is the, so, sort of the thing that you're more well known for than the zoology. Not my animal zoology, but but I'm going to come back. I'm circling back to animals. I'm. I promise yes, you, yes, I'm yes, circling yes, back. Yes. So, um, some people were like, "Oh, you know, this class doesn't exist." Blah blah blah. Where do you? identify this class and I'm like actually there's a whole history of it this of elites um who were uh, both literate and had a lot of money who looked down on the working classes and there's this great moment in 1824 when the industrial revolution in Britain is just gearing up when they um start uh, the the British elites start this thing called the Prevention of Cruel the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, eighteen twenty four. Because these um, elites were very very appalled by the way that people treated their carriage horses, so um, they wanted to have regulations so the horses could be fed, could be watered, and you know they didn't care about the carriage drivers because they were just a bunch of horrible Cockney you know working class horrors who treated their animals badly. It was very much like, let's help these animals. And I have to tell you that this might be shocking to you, but the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children was modeled after the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals and was only founded 40 years later. Like That's really crazy, right? Elites think of animals as more worthy of um, pity and charity than children. And I, I just have a hard time wrapping my, my head around that. But one of the things I think is that um, elites have always felt that the working class were wrong and, you know, sadistic and horrible. And so the animal was like a really good way of them ma- humiliating people who barely had enough to eat to, that they weren't feeding their horses enough. Do you know what I mean? Mm, Does yes, that make no, any I sense to that. you? I mean, I suppose the thing would be to, you know, be, you know, nice to the children and the horses. Exactly. But why did children come up after horses? That's very crazy to me. No, it is very interesting. It's very, very interesting. For elites, you know, they were like, you know, their own children were fine. They just wanted to control the way that poor people were raising their children as the way they were trying to humiliate poor people and the way they were treating their animals. Right. Well, they so, probably weren't making as much, um, but the, the horses... <clears throat> the children were making them more money. Yes, that's absolutely right. Thank you for saying that. You know, there's this thinker, Karl Marx, who talks a lot about child labor, actually in Capital, um, Volume 1, published 1867. I, I, I actually, I knew him. You did? What yeah, was he well, like? Not, well, not very well, but we used to, we had a lot of, um, you know, I was in England um, in the, uh, you know, in the in the 19th century, and we would go out for um, tea sometimes, and um, the funny thing is, you know, he had an interest in zoology as well. <laughs> did he really? Um, yeah. Did you help, did you pay for him? Did he ever take you out for tea? I mean, I heard he was terrible, he was broke. I know, I, I always, I always paid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was fine. I I, I liked it, you know, because I found him really interesting. Although sometimes I'd say to him, Carl, I can't even see you with that beard. <laughs> and he would laugh. He would laugh, you know. 
I, it's true. That beard is quite, you know, it, it's back in fashion now. Like, people are making those be- hipster beards. Well, are back one thing fashion. I always wanted to do, and I felt so bad for it, because, you know, I was friends with um, Leonid Brezhnev as well. And when, and, you know, he, at the very end of his reign, and I would always say to him, I was like, you know, Carl would be extremely disappointed in you. And and he would get so upset, and I would say, well, you know, and then one time he did this um, little thing where he was speaking to the Soviet children on Christmas, and he couldn't get a word out right, and he had to, you know, he just looked, it was a mess, and I thought, like, you know, Carl would be so mad about this presentation. Well, was he drunk? Yeah, I think he was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, that was very sad, you know. I, I don't know what you think about, like... Alcoholics Anonymous for him. I mean, I don't know if you think that would have worked for him, but maybe an intervention, maybe like the Politburo could have done an intervention. You know, it would have been, you know, it would have been good. You know, I I feel like maybe he would have been a little less hard on Czechoslovakia. Like lay off the vodka? Yeah, you know. Right, right. Um, but we strayed far from the animals, so that was my... We have, we have. So that was my thing about the wombat. Like, I just, I... I'm really like um I think they're adorable. I think they are they they might be tasty because of this childhood song that um we yeah. used to sing in Australia with my son. So, you know, they're a little they're they're a little vulnerable like um Australians, most Australians, but they're but they're also, you know, they have this macho tough thing going on too because you know they're they're displaying their feces, which is you know their cubed feces, and uh, I wish the best for them. But I really think that with pan like panda wombat confrontation, it might not turn out so well for them unless they invite the Americans in, in which case they just want to be a protectorate of America. Mm-hmm. And they're very hysterical right now, the conservatives in Australia. Like, they're very ready for war with China. And when you get, like, worked up like that and you, you know, and you are, like, really afraid of an enemy like these 1.3 billion pandas who might be coming over, um, you want to call on help, right? Because they're part of the AUKUS or Five Eyes, whatever the um, Cold mm-hmm. War form of um, surveillance on East Asia was. And they're just going to have to call in the Americans. And I do not know what animal is appropriate for America right now. It's a very dark time for us, Clay. And I just, I don't want to um, degrade an animal by making it American, if you know what I mean. So Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's, it's uh, well, perhaps it would be. Um, the bald eagle? That's so banal. Like, we're not, we're not bald eagles. How well, many it's bald some eagles? sort of bird for sure. Oh, really? Mm, I don't okay. know. That's just my, that was just my feeling. I feel like there's, it's a bird. I've got, I get a bird feeling. Um, you know, but, um, you know what? It's kind of a is? mean bird, a mean, mean bird with like a huge military national security um, apparatus. Like, what kind of bird is that? You a know? Crow? Oh yeah, I'll I'll see, but I oh, love no, crows. crows. Are really, crows are really great. I love crows. Really they're they're so got... cooperative. They're always talking to each other. They they live in these like very very communal groups, which is just the opposite of America right now. We're like all atomized, like trying to order our Uber Eats, being really mad at you know any kind of. Inter- 
interference of our freedom. COVID just made it worse because we're just more selfish. I don't feel like crows are very selfish. They're just, they're such, they're so groupy. They're so group oriented. And um, that's what I mean that's about true. trying and to get American. Very, and they're very chat. They're very talkative in English. They're they, so they, chatty. They speak all different languages. Right. Oh, you would know more about the evolution. I think they're like one of the oldest bird species, actually. And, you know, Americans, we can't make a claim to that. So I feel like every time we'd come up with an animal, it would be kind of degrading to the animal because animals have a lot of dignity. And uh, I don't feel like we have a lot of dignity right now. No. I do. You, you you do Americans. How about the duck? Do you think Americans are ducks? I love ducks, and you know why? Because I just find their their quack to be so specific. You know, they don't they don't. It's not it's not a sound any. It's not a sound like any other animal makes, really. Well, maybe that's what we are. We're like maybe we can find the better part of ourselves as ducks. Let's try it. I think let's try. Let's let's you know let's let's get a duck on here next time. Um, now, I I really want to talk about Tammy um, Duckworth next time as a possible right. candidate um, for Veep um, with Mayor Pete Buttigieg. I mean, I've just decided that it's such a horror show right now politically that I'm just going to go full on affirmative to try to create the greatest. Democratic ticket um, for like Democrats in a bubble. So I'm thinking Mayor Pete um, as the presidential candidate with Tammy, I want to call her Da Duckworthy as his Veep. Um, her name is Duckworth, but you know, I like the fact that she's got duck in her name and the duck I do is think very having worthy. Duck, duck in your name, it's like she's got a duck. She's got a duck that's worth a lot. Exactly. And she's going to show it to us at some point, and that's going to get her to win. I do Don't think. you think? Don't you think? And I was yeah. thinking that she's the only person who could really go up against a um, against a baby because a friend of mine who's a political prognosticator, if you like, has predicted that Candace Owens and um, DeBaby are going to be run on the Republican ticket. So I really want to see a debate between DeBaby and um, Tammy Duckworth. And I want to call her De Duckworth. Yeah, that that's case. what she'll call herself in it. She'll, I think she's the only one who could really go toe-to-toe with him. A rap battle between DeBaby and De Duckworth? Yes, I think it'll be it'll be shocking to people. And the thing is that I predict if they go together, you're going to see them form. Eventually, both of them are going to quit the campaign and form a musical group together. <laughs> what will it be called? The Baby Duckworth. Yes, the baby. Will be called the Baby Duckworth. And their first their first album will be called How Much Is Your Duckworth? <laughs> Ours is worth a lot. That's really catchy. I I, yeah. I think like you could lay how some beats down. Your, how much is your infant duck worth? Ours is worth a lot. Ours being, is worth being a lot. that it's a, a baby a baby duck. <laughs> you know, Catherine. Let's ask you. You also gave me some other animals that we wanted to discuss here today, and I think that um, I also was very curious about what are Spanish water dogs. Oh, 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 yes. Spanish water dogs are, or Portuguese water dogs are supposedly this hypoallergenic breed of dog that became popularized when the Obamas 
um, got Bo Obama when they were in the White House. And they have, like, short curly hair and they don't shed. And they look really doofy, like just the dumbest dog you've ever seen in your life. But um, allegedly they were working dogs. I have never, I realized that, like, Really, really liberal Democrats on the East Coast um, imitated the Obamas, and there's this proliferation of Spanish and Portuguese water dogs in New York now. I just visited the city, and it's kind of shocking, um, because here we have another like um, very elite, I'm just going to go back to professional managerial class breed of dog, which is also hyperallergenic, because these elites are extremely allergic, like high-maintenance allergic. They want to have a dog, but they don't want to have just any dog. They have to have, like, a special dog, so that's hypoallergenic. Like, um, God forbid you would spear a peanut on this dog. You know, they, they, they probably are allergic to peanuts, too, so they never would bring a peanut in the house because, you know, peanuts kill. Um, so you have these Spanish water dogs on the East Coast that Democratic PMC elites have. And on the West Coast, we have this thing called the Labrador. I have I live in a neighborhood of Labradoodles. So they're Labrador and Golden Doodles. They're Labradors or Golden Retrievers crossed with Poodles, one of my least favorite um, dog species, I dog breeds, I would say. And they too are supposedly hypoallergenic. So um, if you walk around really ritzy areas of New York City, you will see an inordinate number of these dogs who are, you know, especially bred for those really um, allergic um, elite types. And uh, yeah, well, it was, I was under the impression that more humans were allergic to cats and the dogs were not especially an allergen. You know, um, if, you're, if you're a New York Times reader, you can become allergic to anything. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, you, you are very sensitive. You, you probably have like 100,000 environmental sensitivities. And you um, got a these, peanut dog. <laughs> it would be like a histamine nightmare. If you sent a if you sent a dog that shed a lot, let's just say like a um a pit bull or a um German shepherd, which are now seen as aggressive dogs that only like, you know, real oiks have. If you smeared one of these dogs with peanut butter and sent them into a doorman building or into a um, gated community in California, you could be accused of murder. You could be prosecuted for murder because the kinds of histamine meltdowns that would happen would be so horrible. And everyone would have to get their EpiPens and, you know, they didn't renew their subscription on their EpiPens because of the of COVID and um, they wouldn't get the, um, you know, it's you very know the ambulance. Because, because one year, I was um, in my cart um, doing some, um, you know, I was walking around on the Upper West Side and mm. I saw 17 um, pit bulls covered with peanut butter <laughs> walking down the street towards me. And I looked at them and I said, I said, what are you doing? And they said, look, this is, um, you know, we've, we, no one was supposed to see us here today. We did... We got together earlier this morning. Do you know Catherine? And I was like, yeah, I do know Catherine. And they, they said, well, she, um, she, you know, this was her idea. And I said, well, so what are you doing? Are you all going into separate buildings? And they said, yes, but, you know, the problem is that um, Jennifer, who was one of the pit bulls, keeps licking the rest of us. And so the peanut butter keeps coming off. And we just, you know, I thought, I was like, you know what, all of you, why don't you come over? I'm staying at my friend Elizabeth's place and I'll make you some um, 
some stew or something. And they said, that's great. And so we went over there. So I now am realizing, Catherine, that I might have screwed up your um, plan. Uh, no, um, you know, I wonder what happened to my elite pit bull peanut butter carrying Regiment. Now I know. I mean, I, I, I'm not, I wasn't that upset by them because I'm really glad you're telling me this now because Jennifer told me that um, they just lost their peanut butter and um, I tried to yeah. smear it all over them and she said something about New York City rats came up or something like that, but it was actually her. And then she but said she they got hungry. She ate, she ate it all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's true. I mean, peanut butter... Pitbulls love peanut butter. Dogs actually love peanut butter. So now I've got another plan. Like maybe I should just smear the peanut butter on the Spanish water dogs. And I probably shouldn't tell you this, but I just feel like if I don't tell you, then the next time you're out, you're wandering around K Street and or Luden County, Virginia, and you see a bunch of which is Spanish- funny because that's always where I take my walk. I know, I I know, I know how much you love Luton County. I know how much you love yeah. um, the PTA there, especially the Parent Teacher Association. Yeah, you should see the looks I get. Do they like you, or are they? Well, no one. It's very funny when I go to the PTA meetings, you know, and I don't look like your average um, PTA member. So when I'm sitting there, they they all pretend I'm not there. Oh my! No one, God. no one says, no one says a word. Uh, no, I, you know, I, I would assume that someone might raise their hand and say, like, excuse me, um, what is that? But, but nothing nothing happens. They just, they just, and I don't know. One time I wondered to myself, am I invisible to the, am I invisible? And I don't mean invisible mm-hmm. in the internet sense, you know, in the social mm-hmm. media sense where people say they're, you know, being erased. I mean in the sense where... I just literally wondered if maybe that I was wearing a cloak, an invisibility cloak. Right, right. You meant literally invisible. I think they're so um, sensitive to the other that they don't want to attract any more attention. So they don't want to stare at you and then they just don't look at you at all. That's like a very Karen thing to do. I think there are a lot of Karens at that PTA meeting. But next time you go, could you bring a jar of peanut butter? I mean, I, you know, you just leave it there like open. And maybe smear yeah, it on you know, I think that'll be my new thing is to go to PTA meetings and leave a jar of peanut butter. A very quiet little jar. It'll just be there afterwards. And no one will know what. And it's funny because in years past, you know, then you could see on the news like there's been a rash of peanut butter sightings at PTA meetings. People will ask what's going on. And, you know, eventually it'll come out that they were left by a 500 million year old extraterrestrial, which should be newsworthy. Right, right. Unless they want to unless they want to cover it up because um it would expose the fact that these this like epidemic of peanut butter allergies was not really real because no one had any reactions to the peanut butter. Well that's what you think. That's what right, 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 right. Right. Yeah. No, I so um just just let me know. I mean I just I have this I have this thing about the peanut butter, the nut allergy, the nut sensitivity thing, and it's probably not very politically, you know, um, sympathetic, or correct. So I'm, I'm not, I'm glad you humored me on this. But the dog breed, like the Spanish water dog, they're, um, they're very um, 
They have a lot of fur. They're, you can't see their eyes. Oh, I wanted to say that um, actually Joe Biden has um, really badly behaved German shepherds. And that I, I, I put on his plus side. So he is a man of the people on that level because German shepherd, his German shepherds are not just bad, are not just German shepherds, and they shed a lot. And German shepherds actually smell really bad. I I think. Um, I heard they had to have them removed or something. What happened with that? Um, they bit like Secret Service agents, so they had to go back to Delaware. They're really badly behaved, and that's like one of the be- one of the most positive things about. Um, Biden, um, because he didn't have any like cuck Spanish water dogs like the Obamas. Like they went for the alpha dog, German Shepherd, and a badly behaved one at that. So I'm, uh, you, you know, they were just very skittish. Like they were in the White House. There were all these people walking around. There's Secret Service people protecting Biden. They thought it was their job to protect Biden, so they bit one. Yeah, that's true. I know that the 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 um the large dogs are very you know they're very protective of their um of their owners. So if other Sometimes. people get in the way, they'll get very they get very upset, and then well, they have to go to Delaware. Then they have to go to Delaware. I mean, some uh, large dogs, I mean, aren't. Uh, that's actually a myth, Clay. I just large dogs are actually very chill. These these dogs were like badly behaved German shepherds. I had a very large dog. He just um. He passed away this year, but he was just a gentle giant. I mean, anyone could come into our house. If people came into our house and stole everything, he'd be like, okay, chill. You know, I'd like some peanut butter. Um, that was his treat. It's, very, it's very confusing that they're called German shepherds because, you know, I have a lot of friends who are actually German people who tended sheep, and they, you know. Do they, they have nothing? They don't want anything to do with the actual well, German They get shepherd. very annoyed that they've been eclipsed by dogs. But right, right. Well, you know, it's it's hard. The nomenclature is hard, and um, Spanish most Spanish water dogs have never been in any Spanish water. It's very interesting. You know, I wonder if, um, of course, when you say Spanish water dogs, I just have this image of like a bottle of water. <laughs> really, a bottle? Yeah. yeah I don't know why. Just, well, yeah. you know, they're they're all over New York. Just just go out and try to, I mean, go out and meet some. And then if you're in California, go meet some Labradoodles or Golden Doodles. They're all, they're all very special. They're very, very special dogs for special people. I, I, I'm sorry I have bias against them. I'm a, I'm a pit bull kind of girl, gal, so. You know, it's all right. You know, I've, I'm very, I'm fascinated with, you know, my, my earthling friends and you know which um which creatures they're partial to but speaking of that what about the voles oh voles okay so um they're very um they're little tiny animals that make burrows and uh they're in California. I they have very long tails. I know nothing about them, but that they live in these intricate worlds underneath our world, and they're the ones in California are really cool because they'll they'll pop their little heads up, and you feel like you're in um, Africa, and um, people are really angry about them when they have um, vegetable gardens or gardens out here because I guess they burrow into them. I personally. I've never seen a vole, but I've seen evidence of voles. And um, I guess they're like the old world mole, right? Mm-hmm. And um, Mark's use... Eyes. 
they have eyes. Oh, they have eyes. Right, right. They definitely have eyes. So the, they're very underground, though. So Marx used this idea, Carl, your friend with a big mm, beard, yeah. um, this idea that, you know, um, what he was doing was very mole-like. Like what we have to do is undermine capitalism and its ideology by building these intricate tunnel networks. I'm totally just riffing here. Like Marxists, if you're going to go all erudite on me and say I'm doing it wrong, <laughs> go listen to another podcast because... I'm 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 riffing my friend Clay, who's a 500 million year old alien, and I'm just making shit up, okay? But anyway, um, so the moles like go underneath the uh, ground, and eventually, if we have enough enough like tunneling, the whole thing will collapse. I mean, the moles may die, but you know, capitalism might go if we just like burrow mm. a lot. So that Im- the mo- that image of the mole is very cool. They're like star mole, star shaped mole, star mouth moles who have these. Little mouths that look like like tiny versions of that worm in Dune. They have no eyes. Oh, they those, have just like yeah, yeah, very, very aren't they cool? Disturbing. Very, very disturbing, disturbing, right? Very, but they yes. like live all. I, I think they're like some of the coolest animals ever. But the vole also makes a lot of um, burrows. The vole doesn't they look have really that cute. Mouth. No, no, yeah. they look really cute, and they have eyes, and uh, they look like... Isn't it interesting how, just, you know, the I find that, you know, among humans, and I think this makes a lot of sense, you know, an animal with um, a human-ish yes. face is always more empathetic, you know, empathized with. Whereas do, the you ones, have that, do you have that issue, too? I mean, I thought that was our issue. Maybe because No, it's more like your issue. It's definitely more your issue. But I do understand it. I mean, you have, you know, you're hardwired to especially, I mean, it's why you love, you know, kittens and puppies. Because right. they, they puppies? do have... Do you say puppies? I just did puppies? there. I don't usually say it like that, okay. but I felt I like, like that. Saying, I like that. Thank you, puppies. Puppies. So, you know, because... They've got these, you know, especially with the kittens, because their eyes are so much in proportion to their face are so much larger than um, anything. And so, you know, it really reminds, um, you know, humans of the child. Right, right. Which you're hardwired to protect. Right, right, right. Those big eyes, like out of proportion of the face. Right. The cuteness, the cuteness thing, like we've evolved to like, maximize cuteness when we're helpless so our caveman fathers and mothers didn't kick us to the ground when they were hunting like um a a yak or something or you know but what what is interesting though is i think that for instance things like the um octopus teacher documentary are really opening i find that they're really making humans find connection with animals that don't um Mm. Even even have a traditional face, you know? Well, when you're I, really communing with something, like, don't you just, like, you exchange fluids and DNA and you're just, like, maybe you, you know, that's, like, the real edge of communion, I'd say. True. And, in, in a, in a, you know, in a, in a meta sense, if we really get down to it, right. you know, all of... All of these creatures, including you, are just, you know, bits of matter that uh, have the ability to, you know, to um, of consciousness. So in a sense, you know, you all are very more closely related than you um, in a universalist sense, if I may appeal to your um, 
I know you keep trying to do that. You keep trying to yeah. do that. I and I just feel like people are not into that right now. Like they want to be special and different from each other. Like they want their Spanish water dog to be really different from like that low class people. Well, coming down the street, coming down that Perhaps if they listen to this podcast, they'll realize that their Spanish water dog is no different from a wombat. From a wombat. I know. I know, right? And the panda and the wombat. Or a panda. Or a musk oxen, which we haven't gotten to. Okay, so have you ever been to a human zoo? I have, and um, I had to leave. Why? Why? Well, I just thought, you know, these were animals that, you know, I've been friends with over the years, species, and they were sitting in these small areas. They weren't able to, like, to do their normal um, exercises. You know, for instance, you know, lions, you know, every morning they wake up and they do, they run and they jog and they do, like, calisthenics and all sorts of exercises. They go to their CrossFit gym. Yeah, They go to their gym, they do all sorts of stuff, and they weren't able to do any of it there. And I saw them and I said, what are you doing here? And they said, clay woman. It's a nightmare. And there's all these people coming here looking at us all day. And like, we don't, you know, you know, when you feel like you, you know, you wake up and you're in that sort of mood and you just don't want to see anyone that day. Right. Right. Imagine if you lived right. in a zoo. Right. 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 Imagine right. if you lived, if you, if your very bedroom was a viewing thing for another. No, it was horrible. You, no, no, no personal space whatsoever. I actually have nightmares like that where I wake up and like I'm in a, you know, display window and I just want to I feel like it's really rude to the animals because they don't even, I mean, humans do this to, to themselves, um, uh, you know, in a voluntarily, they have social media where animals don't even have that. Right, 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 right. No, so you can't, well, so what I was going to say about the zoo is like, okay, so there are all these spectacular animals. Like you go to the zoo and you think, okay, I'm going to see the lions, I'm going to see the gorillas. But every zoo I've ever been to, because I was a mom and I had a little boy who was really interested in animals, there were an inordinate number of musk oxen. Now, I don't know very much about musk oxen. I think they live in the Eurasian steppes, and they have these, like, really, um, they're very cool. They have this, like, um, mane, you know, because it's cold up there, and they have these horns, but I'm like, why are you keeping so many musk oxen in the zoo when, like, all of your publicity is about panthers and lions and, you know, the spectacular animals? And mm-hmm. why doesn't the musk ox, if you're going to keep so many of them in the zoo, um, make it to your PR, you know? Like, I don't. I feel like if you're going to keep them in a, you know, penned in area, like you said about, and, and sort of make their lives kind of degrading and make them the objects of voyeurism, at least make a big deal out of them. That's, do, you think that's they're, do, you think, do, you, do you think they're embarrassed of them? I think they are, but then leave them alone. Like don't bring them to New York or, or LA or Berlin or just leave them on the Eurasian steps. Those muskoks are bothering no one and maybe no one really even wants to see them 
here's the thing is like everyone wants to see a lion, right? I'm like, how do lions live? Like, what are their prides like? like? Are those, is it really a matriarchy? Is that mother lion going to beat up the other mother lion because her babies got into a fight, right? Or, oh my God, that male lion, he's so lazy. He's not doing anything. They're just throwing an animal carcass in there. I, it's very degrading, right? And we want to see it. But no one wants to see a musk ox. No one. No one. Well, I, I do. I do now. <laughs> well, well, I, I because didn't I'm talking to you. But I'm very interested in it now. I'm going to take you. I'm going to take you to the. I'm going to take you on a tour of zoos of the world. And you're going to see this really inordinate number of musk oxen, and. Um, you're going to be puzzled by why they're keeping these animals there when they don't give them any publicity, when they don't give them any recognition, when a lot of people don't even know they exist, and they could just be home in Siberia, just like leading their lives. Mm. And you know, there's that word musk in them. Like, are they very musky? Do they have like a special smell? Are we? They, well, that's the we best know nothing thing I about them. Hmm? Do they have a smell? You know, I wondered about that. They do. They do. They smell. You know, all animals smell kind of, you know, musky, but are they like making male pheromonal deodorants out of them and we don't know this? Like, is this why we're, you know, rounding up musk ox and keeping them in zoos? Like, I, I'm I'm really seriously puzzled by the musk ox. Well, I think ox. before the next time we speak, I need you to have gotten to the bottom of this. <laughs> okay, 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 yeah. We're okay. Gonna, we'll do okay. a segment on that. Now, we've, uh, well, we're running out of time here, but what I do know is that there's, some, there's an animal that we've got to discuss. It's very important. I know that you, you, sent, um, you sent some uh, information about this to my um, assistant, Keltra, and um, she told me that there's something called cocaine... Hippos. Right. Now, in October of this year, while we're being drowned, while we're like worried about um, things like COVID and the January 6th rebellion and AOC's dress, something else happened in an American federal court where um, a group of animal rights activists managed to get a federal judge to declare the hippos in Colombia persons. Now, why is this not being reported more widely? I don't know. Actually, it is being reported, but really in this like totally ridiculous way. So let's go. Let's go back um, to nineteen the 1980s. Pablo Escobar is the biggest drug dealer in Colombia. He um, starts also, this. Also, a friend. <laughs> Okay, you'll not have to a close tell me about friend, that later. Not a close friend, and I tried to tell him that he was in the wrong line of work. You know, I don't want to be But he was making it. so much money. Like, I yeah, I, I think that, that would have been really hard for him to stop doing that. But anyway, anyway he's, like, I, making hundreds of millions of dollars, like, GDP of, you know, a small country greater than Colombia itself. And um, he's got a zoo. He's got a hacienda called Hacienda Nopales, and he's got, like, rhinos and lions and all that. And, and he brings in three hippos, a male and two females, right? And they're, like, in the, you know, they're in the river. I think it's called the Magdalena, and he's got this like giant um, um, uh, estate, which is now like a um, theme park. 
And Colombia is very poor, and Colombia is like riven with civil war, and the Americans and the OAS and the CIA are always going on there and fighting things out. And they ha- the DEA and the Colombian army finally do the, a shootout with um, Escobar. They kill Escobar. And they're trying to, like, I think they repatriate some of his animals, but they forget about the hippos. And the hippos are in the water, and they sort of run away. And now there are, like, 50 to 80 hippos in Colombia today. And And, normally, where do the hippos live normally? um, Africa. Africa. Right, right. They're African, right? So he, he just had them imported. And so now Americans are, you know, very um. One, the news is like talking about them as an invasive species. And whenever you talk about an invasive species, it's either from Asia or Africa, right? The Africanized bee, the invasive big mouth carp from Asia. Like you have this like moral hysteria, like, oh my God, they're like, if I told you like there's an invasive, if I said invasive species, you'd think like there are 500,000 hippos in Colombia now. They're not. They're like 50 (laughs) to 85 hippos. And they're really like living very well because they like to be in the water. When they're they're full grown, they're about 3,000 pounds. They hardly even come up. They're vegetarians, too. So they, even though, like, um, a lot of younger people online know about those hippo videos where they chomp down on a giant watermelon and they have these, like, giant mouths and they're supposed to, like, they have no predators, really, in Africa either, except their babies might be killed by a lion or a crocodile. But they're just like giant fierce and they're just doing their thing. They haven't killed a single person yet in Colombia, but people are very afraid that they're this invasive species. And so the Colombian the Colombian army, which is like not very well funded, um, I guess the U.S. only gives them money to fight um, other drug lords and not really do anything else for the people. But I, I think they started to... Um, gather some of the hippo male hippos and with like great um difficulty tranquilize them because they have the, these really thick hides and they've tried to sterilize the uh, male hippos a few of them so that they don't breed so much and i guess some u.s animal rights groups got like wind of this and they managed to get a declaration passed in an american court that the cocaine hippos are persons and they deserve human rights, which is just like crazy to me because it's like all part of like American PMC imperialist control, um, concern trolling, but they're concern trolling about hippos in Colombia who aren't hurting anyone. They haven't killed a single person yet, okay? They just so say- So in a sense, oh, you, you, you would agree- that the hippos should be left alone, but you also think it doesn't really like that the that the American inclination to designate them as something else is not really helping them. No, no, no. not at all. I think it's like infringing on like what the Colombians are doing. So maybe there was like some bad. There was like a bad trank incident. I'm not really, I can't get into the, get to the bottom of this. I think there was some bad trank incidents. I think, imagine tranquilizing a 3,000 pound hippo, lifting him out of the water with a crane, and then, you know, doing the do, like, you know, um, castrating uh, him. What do they call it? They call it uh, neutering. Right. And then neutering him. I mean, I'm sure there's some neutering the incidents that went wrong, but why, 
are these animal rights groups demanding that cocaine hippos be declared persons? I think it's just paving the way for like another American invasion of South of Latin America, like to save the hippos. We're, well, we're so dumb. We're so dumb. And we and everyone's on the Internet. And like if they started this, like that, you'd get like two million like little girls going, oh, my God, we're going to save the hippos. Let's invade Colombia. You know, it's like Coney 2012. It'd be like hippo 2024. We need to go in. We just are dying to go into other countries. And well, like, you know what I think we should do? What? I think we what? should go down there and put some peanut butter on them. <laughs> But what would that do? Oh, that I would think just it would keep. Solve, the- I think it would solve the entire problem because then people would think that they were poodles. Oh, and hypoallergenic. Oh, yeah. I thought you, you was more nefarious than that. Like, if we put peanut butter on them, then no, like very sensitive, hypersensitive New York Times reader, animal rights activist would go down there for fear of a histamine. No, reaction. I think first of all, you go down there, you say to the hippos, "Hello." I know that a lot of things are going on lately. These cranes are coming by, pulling, you know, and they're like, and they're, the hippos, you know. Well, let's get one on the line. One second. Hello? Yes, it's clay woman. I can't get them on the, they, I can't put them on the, uh, on the same thing with me. Did oh, you no problem. To? No problem. I'm, I'm supposed to. I've got Catherine here. Did you, did you want, Catherine, did you want to ask them a question? Yeah, I mean, I just want to ask them how they're doing. They seem to be doing really well down there in, uh, on the Madalena River. How's uh, fishing? Catherine wants to know how you're doing. Yes, yes, you can all answer in unison. Um, well, they said they're having a great day. They had a lovely breakfast and they went out to, um, they went out sightseeing and, uh, that a crane came by and tried to neuter one of them, and they just made fun of the crane operator so much that he left. They really, I, they love, they love a dirty joke. They so, seem so happy. They, they have like I don't know if you've ever seen a baby hippo, but baby hippos are really cute, and they're just like live. Yeah. They're hanging out in the river, and there are a lot yeah, of baby hippos. And they said, "Well, how do you like Colombia?" Well, they love it. They really do love living there. Right. Yeah. They're, they're really, they're, they're an immigrant success story. They really are. Well, thank you. I won't let you know. Go back to your party. Good, good day. Good day to you. Yes, bye. Well, that was, you know, I checked up on the hippos. And first of all, I don't know. I don't mean to suggest, you know, they, their English was really good for being Colombian. Amazing. Amazing. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, so I don't know. Maybe the people that want to declare them people are, you know, not as far off as we think. Oh, you are pro hippo personhood, but could we just have them be Colombians and not Americans? Because I really oh, feel like that would be too, mar- that would be too want, much. They don't want to be Americans. They just want the right to vote in Colombia. And I wanted to say something about the cranes and the um, castration teams. Like, I think those are just like the those are just for show. Like, the Colombians don't want to do that anymore. It was too hard. Like, they did a couple well, of clearly times. Clearly, if they were scared off by a couple of off-color jokes from a hippo, 
Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I think it's kind of a big joke now to the Colombians. You're like, oh, let's just get the crane out today. And, oh, hi, yeah, hi. Yeah, yeah. And then they just go. Because I think that was an abortive attempt. And really, it's not like 500,000 of them. There's like a nice 50 to 85 cluster. I mean, I don't understand why anyone is so worried about them, but they actually made like the CBS News and this federal judge has declared them persons. And I'm just really afraid that it's going to be our next like um, OAS, Columbia, DEA training ground to mm-hmm. rescue the hippos. Like we, we love to rescue people. Like once we've declared them persons, then we say like, oh, they're being abused. And then we like bring in the B-54 bombers and the drones. Like maybe we'll bring in a giant drone that can pick up a 3,000 pound hippo. But in a sense, like, your concern them. about the hippos being designated as persons comes out of a concern for them and and, and a, a very deeply rooted anti-war stance on your yeah, part. Yeah, exactly. Anti-American right. imperialism stance. And I think the hippos are really happy. Like, they don't care if a federal judge in, Cal- in California, my home state, has declared them a person. Like, they don't want to be people, okay? No, they told well, me they, ro- they rolled their eyes at that. Okay, you know, good. Like, they right. said, you know, they said, um, they, um, they're, well, they're texting me right now, and they said, you know what? We're hippos. And yes, we like thank being you. hippos. Thank you. Know? you. Thank Let us you. be hippos. Right. Well, it, on that, is not good, necessarily. No, and they said, we don't want to have to have social media, and we know that's what comes with being a person. Right, right. Well, Catherine, I just want to say that uh, this, you know, I'm glad you've returned to the podcast. I feel like we we never, we, this, we, we, we just can't stop talking. No, no. Um, I'm so excited about the animal series. And if you'll have me back on, I mean, I've got a bunch of other animals I'd like to talk about with you. So you oh, know, absolutely. please we'll, have we'll, me on again. We'll definitely do this again. There's, you know, we, you'll never run out of animals. No, 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 Clay. And I, I really want to center the animal in our discourse. Put them in the center of the room. Exactly. 3,000 pound hippo. Exactly. Thank you very much, Catherine. I'll speak to you, Thank you. very shortly. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Bye. Bye. But the bamboo Bye. forest knows him. Now his land is taken by man. He's got nowhere left to go. Well, he used to roam. The only place he knows He was born on the mountain's eastern side Where the sun brings the morning to the sky In the snow, the human hunters hide A shot is heard, but no one hears him cry Don't want to say goodbye Oh, panda bear, when will the killing end? When will we see the light? He can feel the night 
the last sunset is in his eyes Get it right. 